Welcome to the Sooners Extra Podcast, powered by the Oklahoman. I'm your host, Ryan Aber, here with Abby Bitterman and columnist Barry Trammell. The Sooners Extra Podcast, as always, is presented by Zaxby's. Satisfy your craving for hand-breaded chicken and fresh-made salads. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. Or order online at zaxby's.com forward slash podcast. The Sooners are in the Big 12 championship game. We've known it for about a week. Yep. And they're they're playing Baylor. Wasn't that long ago that we saw uh, Oklahoma and the Baylor Bears. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Barry's getting a phone call. <laughs> Somebody Sorry forgot to turn that. off his ringer. I forgot to turn off my ringer, but uh, I guess everybody got to hear my new, I got a new iPhone 11. My <laughs> yep. granddaughter and put the new uh, ringtone on. I said, I'm going to fly my Oklahoma flag proudly. Let's put Oklahoma on there. And so we did. Uh, quick story, Barry. We won't get into the, the, the protracted one, but how did you come come to have this brand new iPhone? I dropped my other one. It didn't drop it. It was in my pullover, and while I was sweeping my swimming pool, it flew into the air and into the water, went to the bottom, and so did my, uh, my uh, pool pole. So it took me several minutes to get the pole out. So then it took me several minutes to get the phone out, rushed it to the store, but... It uh, met an unfortunate demise. So, but we're we're glad you have a new phone, Barry. Yeah, well, thank we're you. Glad to hear. Thank you time. very much. But uh, Abby, let's start with you. The last time we saw these two teams meet, OU and Baylor, we saw something that we had never before seen in OU history: a, a comeback uh, un- unlike any uh, before. How much does what happened that night? affect what we're going to see on Saturday morning in uh, Arlington? I think it probably helps the most in terms of, you know, confidence and I I guess mentality going into the game, but everyone that we talked to on Monday, you know, really said that they'll just look at this game film like it's any other film. They're kind of used to that, I guess, get playing, because the Big 12 championship is always a rematch no matter who's in it. And so they're used to doing that over the last uh, few seasons. But I think, I mean, and they haven't really said this either, but I just think it has to help with, with your mentality going into the game and your mindset that, well, we did it before, and you can probably do it again, you know? Yeah, but I, I don't think also that they certainly don't want to get into that. Oh, yes. Whole no, again. I think that the goal is for the whole game – to look like the second half <laughs> and for nothing to look like the first half and if you're Baylor the goal is the opposite right Barry some some interesting questions though to come out of Monday's press conferences about how you prepare for for this game Lincoln Riley talked about it and some of the ways that he had changed preparation for for uh, a rematch game two years ago against TCU he said it was a completely different experience unlike anything that he'd been through last year Texas this year Baylor you were around during the, the first iteration of the Big 12 title game when, when Bob Stoops, and not all of those were rematches because you didn't play every team in the conference, but uh, they did have some. Has it changed, do you think, the way that maybe Bob dealt with these things and the way Lincoln does? Well, I think it, it helps in this regard. I, I learned a lot talking to Alex Grinch last night. And Alex, well, the last time he was faced with this, he was at New Hampshire, New Hampshire, coaching with Chip Kelly. Probably playing, I don't know, Slippery Rock or somebody. <laughs> but anyway, um, he said that you know the key is you go back through film. You don't you don't watch game tape. 
in sequence. Like, you don't go watch Baylor, Texas from opening kickoff. It's all split up for you by, by formation, by down and distance, all those kinds of things. So, you're not, it's not like the Sooners or the coaches are going back and watching OU Baylor and Waco. They're seeing a lot of OU Baylor plays along with other Baylor plays. And what, what Alex was talking about is, you know, you try and, and hopefully succeed in not letting emotion and your personal experience factor into this preparation. So you, you watch a sequence of 10 Charlie Brewer deep throws. And a couple of them were against the Sooners. But the eight others were not. And I think the first time you do that, let's say TCU two years ago, it's probably sort of startling, a little bit difficult to, to say, oh, that's just a play against – that's just a Baylor offensive play and not remember, oh, yeah, that was us and here's what happened before that and here's what happened after that and here's the consequences. Last year, Texas, I think it was a little easier because they'd done it before. And this year, hopefully, it's, it's even easier for the veterans. So they don't – when we think about that game – as fans, as media, we wouldn't always think of it in sequence. We would never think of it in. Uh, here's a bunch of plays out of three, uh, out of three wide, uh, one back, one set, or one tight. We would never think of a football game, but that's the way they think about preparing for Baylor. It's the way they do prepare for Baylor going into the game. So, I think there's a decent chance that both teams will be able to block it out. We see, you know, we talk about it. It happens literally dozens of times every year on Sundays with all the divisional foes in the NFL. And, you know, it, it, it's a different kind of football, but the preparation's similar. So I really don't know. The only thing I can say about this game as, as it relates to November 16th, I think OU's comeback gives the Sooners a big psychological edge because I think if if Baylor should happen to get off to a good start, let's say they take a 10-0 lead or 17-7, there will be no panic in the Sooners because we've seen them not panic before, and they know that not panicking <laughs> leads to success. So I think there's a slight advantage for the Sooners because of the way they won that game. To me, that's the biggest difference, or, or the biggest carryover from the from the game on the Brazos River. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. That the, the comeback, the psychological edge that that gives the Sooners is is probably the biggest thing to take away from it. Although in the second half, they were able to to uh, run the football so much better. The offensive line, I thought that that was sort of the turning point for that group um, to to turn things around. Uh, also, Barry, I went back and found. The last time an Alex Grinch coach team played a rematch, I think you said slippery rock, right? It was just uh, sort of throwing something. Yeah, well, I, I laugh because I look at the schedule. They did play a team. And they didn't play slippery rock. They played a, a team called Stony Brook that year. wasn't the re, That wasn't a rematch, though. Any idea who the rematch would have been uh, for for New Hampshire football, two thousand and six? New Hampshire football. Um, I don't think it was uh, in the A ten conference. <sighs> In the A, Duquesne? Uh, no, Duquesne was not in the A-10. Okay, I don't know then. I'm, uh, I'm just... UMass. UMass! Oh, yeah. A U- fellow New England rival. UMass was number three in the country that year. 
Uh, they they beat New Hampshire twenty eight to twenty in early November, and then uh, won the game uh, twenty four to seventeen in the uh, FCS quarterfinals. I know I know you're fond of the FCS and FBS. Yeah, uh, drives tags. me nuts. Is what it do. <laughs> it drives me nuts. But yeah, the 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 Minutemen uh, they. Minutemen finished undefeated in the A-10 that year with New Hampshire being second in the North Division. Uh, James Madison won the uh, the South Division that year. So uh, sorry to get off on that tangent. Abby, do you have something? Oh, yeah, just jumping off of Barry's point about um, staying calm. I think that that is kind of – that's kind of what this defense learned at halftime, which is also kind of what I'm, what I'm writing about uh, for Wednesday's Oklahoman. Um, Check that out, Oklahoman.com. Yep, and and you know the physical paper is pretty cool too. This uh, too. But no, that's some. I like Alex Grinch yesterday. You know, I asked him. Jalen Hurts said right after the game, the Baylor game, that Alex Grinch said to him, "This is going to be a game we tell our kids about." And I asked Alex Grinch, you know, why he thought to say that, and he was like, "Well." The story's either going to go one of two ways. You either lay down and say, woe is me, why is this happening? Or, you know, you essentially fight back. And I think that that is kind of what this Oklahoma defense took away from that game because they've been playing with definitely a lot of excitement and passion but also sort of a a calm, uh, like a calm, I don't know, sense where they're not they they don't look as crazy running around confused, you know. They they look calm and they look like they know what they're doing and they they've looked like that a lot more consistently since uh halftime ended against Baylor. And that seems like that sort of the flashpoint for that started when Parnell Motley forces the the turnover. They're chasing the Baylor guy down, yes. pops the football out. Uh, Oklahoma was able to recover. Ever since then, the turnovers have come in bunches. They had, obviously, the the uh, Nick Benito interception that ended that game right after he had dropped one. Parnell Motley has been playing out of his mind. But, Barry, how big was just the – you talked about the psychological edge of the comeback, but how big was that specific play, you think, in forming that with that defense? Well – this defense has been under such a microscope, really, for probably since Patrick Mahomes, Baker Mayfield. It's been under the microscope. Well, I, I think it's before that. I think it's, it's in terms of the now. I'm talking about the a serious. It's been questioned. I mean, but I, I was going to go back to Tavon Austin, but well, yeah, uh, Tavon. <laughs> but in 2015, I'll say, yeah, no, they, 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 they were really good. Back they had the Big 12's best defense. They were really good. But when Patrick Mahomes lit him up, which would have been what year? That would have been uh, 16, right? Yeah. 16 in Lubbock. Since then, people have been sitting there saying, what's going on with this defense? And they've risen up and played some good games, but they've also just been – Yeah, I mean, the Ohio State game yeah, stands in, in out. 17, and, and then, you know, the Big 12 title game last year. But for the most part, they've been lit up. And they found some success this year with Alex Grinch, and you think, oh, this is, this is good – and then they get lit up again. And you think, uh, all this talk of turnovers, where's the turnovers? They're not happening. So for the for Motley and the defense to make a play like that, um, to me, it was a big sigh of relief. And they've, 
they're not a great defense, but they're pretty good. They're not bad. By OU recent standards, they're really good. It's the best defense since 15. Yeah, I don't think there's and, any doubt you know, about that. And, and Grinch got here and said, we're going to take the ball away from them. And they've started taking the ball away from them. You know, what have we counted up? Is it one, two, three, four? Is it six takeaways the last three games? I think I could that, be wrong. That, I think uh, that's right. Sounds right. I can find. Can't it remember for sure. Really quick. But starting here. with that two-point conversion against Iowa State, well, it's, it's five. Five. Of course, the Iowa State would doesn't officially count because right. uh, it was on the two-point conversion. Right. But, but they've started taking the ball away, and you know they don't need a lot of help. They just need a little help. The offense and. They're starting to get it, and I think the defense is feeling better about itself. And they played well in Waco. You know, even during the early avalanche, that wasn't all on the defense. I mean, a couple of OU turnovers put OU in a bad spot. So I think they're playing pretty good football, and I think they feel good about themselves, and they haven't always felt good about themselves these last three years. Yeah, we're going to take a break there. We're going to be back on the other side. I want to ask Barry something related to what he was just talking about with with Oklahoma defense. This is the Sooners Extra Podcast presented by Zaxby's. I'm your host, Ryan Aber, here with Abby Bitterman and Barry Trammell. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast presented by Zaxby's. I'm Ryan Aber here with Abby Bitterman and Barry Trammell. And, and Barry, in, we ended the first segment. You're talking about the improvement in Oklahoma's defense. I'm curious, have you done your uh, Big 12 efficiency ratings? I've not finished them, but OU's going to be in the top five. And they're going to be fourth or so, I think. Um, Baylor and OSU will be the top two. And then right below, OU's not far off. So if that that was always the goal, to me, is just get a defense that's pretty good in Big Twelve standards. If you do that, everything's going to take care of itself. Oh, you made the national semifinals last year with the Big Twelve's worst defense. They literally did that. So they don't need a lot of help from the defense. They just need a little bit. And you know this defense is much better it really is and i thought they were very good saturday night in stillwater and the big 12's playing defense that's right yeah this is higher standard defense than what we've seen that's right it's exactly right yeah the defense uh oklahoma scoring defense finishes third in the big 12 behind uh baylor and kansas state um sort of crazy that oklahoma state was sixth in that in that regard but uh you know you look at some of the other metrics and um uh, total defense Oklahoma finished uh, at the top I think uh, what was the number Oklahoma was today in the uh, total defense ranking from uh, nationally but it was really 26? good six no yeah. it was not six I'll no tell you 26. 26. <laughs> 26. Yeah. 26 I think it was top 30 yeah. that's right not not six that's too high top like, 30 six. and you know what if you're in the top 30 yeah, they're uh, 26. You're in yeah. the top 30 defense with the number one offense yeah, in the country? Yeah, you're in great shape. You're in great shape. Yeah. Although, it, you know, it's funny looking at this, and, and the defense has been really good lately, but it seems like a lot of the attention of oh, what's going wrong here is on the offensive side, although I don't think there was a whole lot like complaining last week. No. It was really hard to throw the ball. Oklahoma was able to run. Kennedy Brooks was fantastic. Um but it's it's still crazy that uh, Oklahoma's de- offense is still 
number one. It's just not maybe the number one by the margin that I think it's not a lot the of people flashy number one expected to. It's not the you know the, the record breaking numbers, but uh, Abby, let's talk about some of the the stuff that we're writing this week that we've written this week. Um, you touched on uh, Baylor and the halftime, the way that things sort of flipped the switch there, but you're also writing another story uh, for uh, a little bit later in the week about Oklahoma's receivers and C.D. Lamb and the way that uh, things have gone for him the last few weeks. He missed that Baylor game, hasn't had the big game-breaking plays that we saw from him earlier in the season, and we saw some things Saturday that might be just a touch concerning. Yeah, he he's starting to look a little bit a little bit frustrated, you know, by everything. Um, he, I mean, there's you know in the video from the in the game on TV, there were some times where he maybe didn't look so happy, you know. Well, I mean, I'll just say one. This wasn't. I don't. I don't think it was shown on TV, but uh, there was a, a, a in the second half. I think it was a, a thirty yard pass to. Uh, was it Jeremiah Hall? Larry? Yes, yes, Jeremiah. Jeremiah Hall. Uh, you don't. I don't. Don't believe you see it on TV, but I'm just going to speak about what I saw from the press box. Ceedee Lamb's wide open, waving his hands. Uh, Jalen Hurts dumps it off to Jeremiah Hall, who makes a fantastic play and winds up gaining 30. Might could have been longer if Ceedee Lamb would have uh, got back and laid a block. And Ceedee Lamb's been fantastic about getting about laying those blocks this year but this time clearly the frustration boiled over it boiled over into the next play Jalen Hurts does throw right to him CeeDee Lamb seems still aggravated about it and we'll see what CeeDee Lamb has to say uh, hopefully on Tuesday night but um, is a little bit different than early in the season where mm-hmm. CeeDee Lamb wasn't getting a ton of balls um, because then at least Charleston Rambo a lot of those other receivers were were getting thrown the ball a lot. And this is different now that they're, like Barry talked about, turning into more of a, a run run team. Yeah, and even even then, occasionally when he would get, you know, when he would get a pass in the beginning of the season, it would turn in, it would usually be a big play if I remember correctly. And so you were still seeing, you know, the regular CD Lamb you're used to seeing, just maybe a little bit less of it. And now, even though CD has been back in the last two games. He hasn't really been the the fact the kind of factor that you expect him to be. Yeah, B- Barry, what did you see on Saturday, and and how is that concerning moving forward, or is that just one of those things that you know sometimes happens, with, especially with the receivers? It's the natural order of things with wide receivers. Everything trickles down. Who are the prima donnas in football? NFL wide receivers. If you made a list of the ten biggest knuckleheads in NFL history, eight would be wide receivers, <laughs> starting with Antonio Brown and, and, and working your way down. Guys see that. College guys see that. High school guys see that. C.D. Lamb seems like a, 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 a very nice person, an affable guy. We love talking to him. But he's been in the spotlight. He's had Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray throwing him balls. Now he's got a quarterback who doesn't throw as much, doesn't throw deep as much, takes off for a scramble because he can make 14 yards about every time he does. And at some point you get frustrated at that. And you've 
for 10, 12, 14 years of your life, you've watched NFL wide receivers sort of, you know, display their emotions on the field. And yeah. so, to me, it's natural to see that out of – you don't see running backs really doing that much. But well, wide receivers, I'll, it's natural. I, I'll say this uh, in, in receivers' defense. With running backs, it's not like they're, you know, moving through the hole and then they get the – and then all of a sudden the ball appears in their hands and – they, they're running free. With receivers, so much of the work is done before they get the ball that they know if they're going to be free and able to score you know, before Jalen Hurst makes a decision or before certainly before he makes the throw. So I think things get magnified a little bit more at that position just because things like what we saw on Saturday with, with CD running behind the defense, um, it, it's a completely different position in that regard, uh, although it's certainly – not the best looks uh for sure yeah so i'm not terribly surprised to be honest with you um i do think um it's something lincoln riley needs to keep an eye on because you don't want that kind of stuff spreading but i don't know that it's a really big deal i don't know that yeah, it's a really big i deal. i probably agree with that now that said i think oklahoma needs cd lamb to be more of the player he was for most of the season if they are to to win this week, if they are to make the playoff, and if they are to uh, advance from there. Absolutely. Well, Without you know, it wasn't that long ago we were saying he's clearly OU's best player. Well, and I still think yeah. he is. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, Kennedy Brooks is certainly uh, making a run. Now, if you're talking about offensive players, you're talking about defensive players, it gets a little bit more complicated. Um I, you know, I said CD last September, September of eighteen. Oh I yeah, said, you've been saying. CD I said CD Lamb's Lamb our best player. By October, I was proven wrong, <laughs> and I think I've been probably proven wrong this year. I think Jalen Hurts is their best player. I mean, you're talking about a quarterback who runs like a tailback, and while he doesn't throw like Kyler Murray, or he doesn't right. throw like Baker Mayfield. He throws pretty dang good. He completes seventy percent of his passes. Yeah, and he can throw down the field pretty well he's not a pristine field vision type guy but he's not bad at it i mean there's not anybody in america that's got ou up on, uh, on the schedule the next week and says oh goody we get to play against <laughs> jalen hurts this saturday this, this they're all saying true. oh my god jalen hurts is playing against us saturday what are we going to do that's literally what baylor is saying today they're saying what are we going to do with jalen hurts so I think sometimes we may be shortchanging Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, although, Barry, along those lines, and I want to start with you, Abby, on this question. Who's the best defensive player on this team right now? I think I know. <laughs> I think it's Parnell Motley. I think I think it's Parnell Motley because, I mean, he's, he's – we've, t- we've talked about before he's had some – very low lows and some very high highs but lately he's just he's been since he since he got thrown out of the Kansas State game he has been on it he has made some very big plays for OU he uh been forcing fumbles catching interceptions doing it shutting down wide receivers just all the all the big things you want a defensive player to do I'm picking Parnell Motley all right, Barry. We talked. We talked about this a lot during the off season and, and early in the season. Hadn't addressed it since then much. You've got Kenneth Murray there. You've got Neville Gallimore, who we've talked a lot about, uh, especially before the season in that role. Who do you got? 
I think it's Neville Gallimore. Um, he doesn't play a sexy position. He doesn't play a spotlight position. But he plays where things have to occur for the defense to do well. He's got to he's got to take up two blockers, and he almost always does. Yeah. And, so, and, and last year when the ship was on fire and the the boat was sinking, Neville Gallimore was in there playing very good football, keeping the Sooners' uh, heads above water. And now that they're playing better, I think I think he's still doing the same job and making life easier for Ronnie Perkins and Deshaun White and Kenneth Murray. Uh, I I think Parnell Motley has played fantastic. Corner's another difficult position. I got nothing against Parnell Motley, but I think. Uh, I think it's I think it's Neville Gallimore, and that may be a lifetime achievement award I'm giving. I mean, he may not be well, playing any better now than he was last <laughs> year, but he played really well last year, and nobody knew it because the rest of the defense stunk. Yeah, I, I, Barry, I was actually sort of hoping you would say Kenneth Murray so I could take the the Neville Gallimore one, but I think you're right. I think Neville Gallimore, he's not like you said, it's not sexy. He's not. You look at the tackle numbers from uh, Bedlam. You know, he's way down the list at at two. But what he does is take up a big chunk of that middle where it's really hard to run the football through there. It's really hard to do much. And what he does is free up for guys like Kenneth Murray, who had six tackles in that game, including one for a loss. Guys like uh, David Oguegbu played the game of his young career on Saturday. Uh, Nick Benito uh, there on the edge. Deshaun White, Caleb Kelly uh, at that other middle, middle spot. I think he is so integral to what those guys are able to do. And I think last year we saw uh, the second-level guys struggle to make plays, but they were getting a lot of help from from Gallimore in the middle. Gallimore, once again, has been fantastic. He's just one of those guys that you just don't think of when you think of uh, just eye-popping defensive plays because everything is happening in such uh, tight quarters, and a lot of times it's setting up for other people yeah i i don't know what are you gonna do next year i assume they got somebody maybe this juco guy what's his name uh the perion winfrey perion winfrey maybe he can fill in that, that number one juco at nose in the country at nose guard but for now <laughs> neville gallimore is playing big time football yes he is but we'll see what uh neville's able to do on Saturday, we're going to take a quick break, be back with one more segment of the Sooners Extra podcast. If you could, we really appreciate it. If you go on to uh, Apple Podcasts, Google, wherever you uh, consume your podcasts and shoot us a review, we'd really appreciate that. This is the Sooners Extra podcast presented by Zaxby's. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast presented by Zaxby's. I'm Ryan Aber here with Abby Bitterman and Barry Trammell. And uh, let's look ahead a little bit to, to Saturday's game. We'll talk about college football playoff ramifications and things like that in our uh, next episode of the podcast. A little Stay bit tuned. later in the week. Yes, please, uh, please listen. I'm sure you will. And we'll be back after the game with another episode, as always of the uh, Sooners Extra Podcast. Hopefully it'll be uh, uploaded by uh, a reasonably decent time in the evening, depending on uh, our fine technical folks and yep. uh, and everything and how quickly we can get it recorded. 
in the uh, spacious confines of AT&T Stadium. Won't have to do it at 1 a.m. this time. <laughs> Very true. There will, there will, we will not hopefully be falling asleep by the time we record this podcast. But, uh, Abby, the, the first game between these teams, the, the first half was so much dictated when you talk about Baylor's offense by what Charlie Brewer was able to do. How does Oklahoma work to slow him down and be as effective as, uh, on him as they were in the second half of that game. I mean, I think I think you just have to. Kenneth Murray said on Monday that Baylor came into the game doing some things that OU wasn't prepared for and that they didn't they hadn't really seen before. And so I think part of it is well now you've seen those things and also maybe now they have the confidence to if. Baylor again comes up with some stuff that they haven't seen before to fix it a little quicker. Um, but I think that, you know, I don't think that there can be a complete repeat of the second half. I'm sure Baylor will score at some point. But uh, I don't know. Just I think they just have to take what they did in the second half, kind of remember it. And they said they, didn't, they don't want to look back too much on the game you know, and rely too heavily on it. But I think that just, you know, remembering what you were able to do in those plays will probably probably be the key for the defense, I would think. All right, so put it in headlines, write it in stone. Abby says no shutout for the Sooners on Saturday. I mean, when was the last time <laughs> OU shut someone out? Uh, one of the rum dums a year or two ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it hadn't been too long ago, but uh... – doesn't happen very often. Okay, when was the last time OU shut someone out in? Uh, well, it could have been Kansas. I don't know. Some they shut someone out in Big Twelve. Oh, Big Twelve. I don't know. It's a great question. Last Big Twelve shutout for the Sooners, K State in fifteen probably fifty five nothing. Yeah, does that I, sound right? I think that would be correct. Uh, as I'm sitting here flipping yeah. frantically, I think that was it. I think that's probably it. I think it's fifty five uh, nothing it week after Texas in fifteen. They held Kansas to three points in 17. Um, Kansas to three points in 16, for that matter. Um, and then, yeah, in 15, the shutout, uh, 55 nothing against Kansas State. Um, so it's been to, a long time since yeah, they pitched a shutout. It's certainly been a while. So, But Abby says that streak continues this weekend. But, Barry, going to the other side of that, uh, defensively, or offensively, excuse me. Uh, Baylor's front seven is, has been really tough, probably the best front seven in the league. Um, does Oklahoma need to change anything from what they did in the second half when they really controlled the ball on the ground? Well, here's the beauty of this game, and here's another reason to like OU. OU is going to change something around. <laughs> Even if they don't change anything, things are going to be different. Because C.D. Lamb's playing. <laughs> right. C.D. didn't play in Waco. Yeah. That's true. C.D.'s a home run hitter. C.D. can do all kinds of things. Yeah. And he changes so much of the way you have to defend Oklahoma. So, to me, I'd, that's just right up OU's alley. They can, they can go in with the same game plan if they want to and have C.D. over here in the side pocket. And ever how Baylor plays them, then they can adjust and, and, and go with C.D. Yeah, because so. if you run – 
you know, just play man on CD, generally CD Lamb's going to get open. I don't if recommend you, that. If you roll over a safety or, or bracket or do other things to throw another guy over there, that opens things up even more in the run. And Oklahoma's offensive line and, and Kennedy Brooks has shown and Jalen Hurts has shown that they can take advantage of that. So it makes it really, really difficult to try to slow down this Oklahoma offense minus turnovers. If turnovers pop back up, then that becomes a different story. Yeah, I mean, yeah, turnovers will, will definitely swing this game one way or the other if they, if they occur. But the, the presence of CD gives the Sooners a big edge um, in in attack mode. So they can – I think OU will try to keep running it. I think they like running it, as we talked earlier. helps the defense. Um the deeper in the season it goes, the less likely, you, the, the less you have to worry about getting your quarterback hurt. If you get him hurt Saturday, that's bad. If he gets hurt, you know, two minutes left in the first quarter, that means you got three quarters of trouble. If he gets hurt in the second quarter against Texas, <laughs> you got eight weeks of trouble. So, I think I think you'll see Hurts run a whole bunch. I think you see Kennedy Brooks run a bunch. Um, but I also think you'll see all kinds of C.D. Lamb on Saturday. Yeah, I would imagine that would be the case with, with the Sooners, and that'll be interesting. Um, Barry, wanted to, to stick with you for this. Uh, talking about Baylor, Matt Rule, I think, very clearly is the Big 12 Coach of the Year. Yes. Is there anybody nationally who no. should be thought no, 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 of no. anywhere? In 11, his... He was 1-11 two years ago. Here, I'll go down to my top 25. You tell me <laughs> if somebody's done a better job than Matt Rule. Ryan Day at Ohio State, done a great job, but done no. A, done a fantastic job, no. Ed Rogeron at LSU, done a great that, job, no. That That's a hire that got a lot of criticism initially. Good for LSU. It's, it's good. Yeah. It's turned out give, fantastic. Give uh, uh, Joe Brady the Broyles Award, his, his <laughs> offensive coordinator. Give that to – let him have that. But yeah. uh, Kirby Smart, no. Lincoln Riley, No. Devil Swinney, no. Paul Christ at Wisconsin, no. James Franklin at Penn State, no. Dan Mullen at Florida, no. Now, the the, the dude at Utah, the guy at Utah, Kyle, Kyle Whittingham, who <laughs> he's an excellent we, coach. We had a conversation last week. Uh, Barry, I can't remember what you were involved in a couple other people. I was sort of listening on the fringe. Yeah, I was trying to figure out. We weren't, weren't sure exactly what his name was. Yeah, I, I, I knew what his name was. I just couldn't remember. Wallingham or Whittingham. You know, he's been around forever. He, he was hired about a week before Mike Gundy was at OSU. So he's been around forever. Uh, but no, he doesn't, he's not had a better – Utah's not done better than Baylor. Uh, Gus Malzahn, no, even though he's done a great job. Jim Harbaugh, no. Uh, Brian mean, Kelly, No. Nick Saban, no. To me, the only one that you could make there's one. There's any one. conceivable argument is P.J. Fleck. P.J. Fleck at Minnesota. Who's, who's done right. a fantastic job. I think, you know, had Minnesota won last week, then you could hold him up as right there with Rule. But I, I would put Rule ahead. Uh, Baylor's got a better point. record against a tougher schedule. And yeah. Baylor yep. – and, and P.J. Fleck has lifted Minnesota from mediocrity. Matt Rule has lifted Baylor from the ashes of a dumpster fire. To the top ten. Yeah, they're top ten. That's right. Top ten. Yeah. Baylor, so. Baylor you know, we, we talk about the playoff from a strictly Oklahoma perspective. 
Baylor can make the college football playoff. Oh yeah, I mean, there's a there's two little things happen and it's automatic. Yeah, if if LSU beats Georgia and if Utah loses to Oregon and Baylor wins, so th- three things, three really, things, yeah, two that are out of their control, right? Yeah. If those happen, Baylor's going to that's the right. That's you exactly know, right. After the Kansas State game, I remember you, Aber, you and I and Jenny talked about on the post game pod. We talked about Baylor in the college football playoff, and we're like, I can't believe we're really saying this, but we're saying it. <laughs> And, you know, as the time has gone on, it's gotten more and more real because Baylor Baylor has turned out to definitely be for real. So, no, I think that, like Barry said, from an absolute dumpster fire to the top ten nationally, it's a, it's a pretty yeah. fast climb in just two years. So jumping off from that and just real quick and we'll wrap this up and, and be back a little bit later in the week. Abby, more likely to be coaching in the NFL next year, Matt Rule or Lincoln Riley? I think that, and I mean, I've I've heard I've heard Jenny talk about this, and I've heard other people talk about this about coaches wanting to go out and get a Lincoln Riley, but I don't know. Matt Rule's a good sleeper pick if you want someone whose name doesn't like jump off the page as much and whose name isn't. I mean, is he a sleeper though? I mean, he was right there in the thick of it for the the Jets job, right, Barry? Yeah, uh, he's not a sleeper anymore, I yeah. wouldn't say. But, I mean, he was this yeah. time last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think more of a, like, everyone, for I think since almost since Lincoln got the job has been like, oh, when's <laughs> Lincoln going to go to the NFL? So that's why yeah. I think that, you know, if you just automatically think of the next Big 12 coach to go to the NFL, your mind might go to Lincoln Riley first. But yeah. I think it could be Matt Rule. All right. I'm, Barry, I want to let you answer this. I'm going to answer it just real fast. I think Matt Rule is more likely to be in the NFL next year than Lincoln Riley. What do you think? Uh, there are people in the NFL that say Matt Rule sort of has a hankering to go to the NFL. It's nobody really saying that about Lincoln. Lincoln's not saying that about they, Lincoln. No, and, and they and they you know even they the, always do, the people that say he might go say yeah you know, if he's interested or. If he yeah. ever decides that's something he wants to do, or maybe or if it's the Cowboys, yeah. But you hear that Matt Rule actually, you know, he's been a he's been a New York Giants assistant coach, so he's had a f- taste of it. And I don't mean this in a bad way, but he's also not at Oklahoma. Yeah, he, he's, he's at Baylor. Not, he's not at that power that you think is going to uh, automatically think is going to be sustaining. No, although I'd be, I mean, I, I'd be, I wor- I'd be I wary of it. I wouldn't bet against him <laughs> no, if Matt Rule stays that's there. That's right. No, that's that, right. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying it's not a blue blood. At, at Oklahoma, it's, not a blue it's blood. the blue blood. You know, you feel mm. pretty confident. So Matt Rule. It's Matt Rule. Yeah. More likely to be in the and NFL. And I think with Matt Rule, there's more options out there. That I think with Lincoln Riley, if he were to make that jump ever, it's got to be the perfect fit, whether it's uh, the Dallas Cowboys. You know, we've talked a lot about his – uh, Texas background, his uh, you know growing up as a Cowboys fan. So I think with Lincoln Riley, there would be very few jobs in the NFL that he would entertain. With Matt Rule, I think that job that uh, uh, those spots are a little bit more open with him, and I think there would be a better shot that uh, he would find one that suits him. And certainly, uh, NFL teams are going to be pursuing both of those guys really heavily here uh, before too long. But uh, we're going to wrap it up there on the Sooners Extra podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. You can uh, reach out to me on Twitter 
at R-Y-A-B-E-R, Ryaber, or through email, R-A-B-E-R, at Oklahoman.com. I'm Abby Bitterman, and you can find me on Twitter at Abby underscore Bitterman. It's super original. Or through email, Abitterman at Oklahoman.com. And Barry, who likes to uh, change things up on us. Yeah, just call me. Just call me, 405-760-8080. Just call me. I'll answer. It'll make his Oklahoma... It'll make my Oklahoma ringtone go off, and everybody will uh, get a big kick out of it. <laughs> Just uh, don't call you during the pressers. Uh, yeah, sometimes I can't answer. So, sometimes it's off, but or if I'm podcasting, if I remember. But most <laughs> of the time, it's on. Yeah, Barry is... Uh, very reachable uh so are, so are we thank you so much for listening we'll be back later in the week with more big 12 championship game talk like i said be back after the game until then you can check out our work every day at oklahoman.com and every morning in the oklahoman for the best you coverage anywhere once again the sooners extra podcast as always presented by zach